Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. In this episode, my guest is Olivia Scafidi, a super talented automotive photographer, writer, and complete gearhead. She takes us through the things that inspire her in the automotive world, the impressive body of work she's developed relatively quickly since the beginning of her time as a photographer, and how she's been able to work her way into the tightly knit muscle car community to shoot and document some seriously cool cars across North America. And before we get into the episode, please do take time to rate and review the show in whatever pod player you're using. I really appreciate it, and it's great encouragement for me to keep making these things for all of you out there. The reception's been great for this season, so please keep sending me all of the feedback. Okay, so enough of that and back to the show. As always, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Okay, so I'm back, and I'm delighted to have my guest, Olivia Scafidi, on the show tonight. It's someone I've tried to line up for quite some time. We finally made it work. So Olivia is an automotive photographer. She seems pretty handy with a wrench, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And she's been making her way around the American muscle scene for the last few years, documenting the cars she's encountered along the way. My personal favorites in her collection, uh, is it's actually is a 1970s mid-70s 1972 1972 amc hornet aptly named the green hornet so the photos are gritty they're vibrant and in especially in that case they kind of take you to the place where i could almost smell the fuel from the photos Um, and i think in that collection um, it may actually be some of your finest work in my humble opinion so olivia thank you for taking such great photos and of course thank you for being here on the show tonight thank you for having me (laughs) so before we get into photography um, before we get into um, what you're doing with cars and your photography i like to start where i always start with all my guests and that's at the beginning so What was it that got you into cars? What inspired you or what hooked you? So I've always been super into movies. And what really did it is I'm a major fan of Burt Reynolds. And I Mm. remember um, being sick one day and I was just looking through his uh, IMDb of movies and I saw Smokey and the Bandit. And, you know, I was never into cars, didn't really care for them. And I watched this movie and it was seeing the black and gold Trans Am for the first time, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. giant phoenix on the hood. And uh, I knew that was the car for me. I knew that was going to be my all-time favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was really car movies. Awesome. Well, and also RIP to Burt Reynolds. Yes. I mean, that's awful. But that's kind of, uh, that's, that's kind of crazy and coincidental that, yeah, that very... also is what got you into the cars. So. Yeah. Um, so that, that hooked you. Now, what was the first car that you owned? First car that I've owned rather first sort of, it's my daily right now Mm -hmm. is a Lexus ES350 in 2007. So nothing too interesting. Well, I mean, also not an awful car to have as the first that you've owned. Um, and now do you tinker with it or do you tinker with cars at all? I mean, what, what kind of got you into the... on the muscle side we'll talk about it a little bit later but you know did you did you have a penchant for that after watching um watching Bert out there with that uh sorry it was a Trans Am yes Trans Am um 
you know, did you did you have a desire to start tinkering with cars at that point? Did you have kind of a um, a love for it from that from that point forward? It was funny when I first got into cars. I was more form over function. I was super mm-hmm. into the design aspect and you know how they looked, mm-hmm. and then it kind of moved from there. Um, I'll talk a bit about that. With roadkill is what got me into the idea of working on cars and that sort of stuff and yeah so right now don't really do much to the lexus however (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that's fair not really interested in that but when it comes to classic muscle and just older cars in general i have such an interest in learning how to work on them and just the overall simplicity of that technology from the day (laughs) yeah very limited and yeah and so we talked about it before we started the show You've got something stashed away on the West Coast. Um, and, and so what is it that you've got out there? So um, my boyfriend lives in California, actually, and him and I have a joint project, which is a 1971 Chevrolet El Camino, mm-hmm, which nice. is super fun. You have that age old debate on whether it's a car or a truck. I'm not <laughs> right. sure what you think. <laughs> yeah, right. I think it still falls into the car category for me. That's what this I is think. like a really utilitarian car. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Okay, so and how long have you had that with him? That's been about, I think, a year and a half now. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so and I imagine then the two of you are going to slowly build that into something crazy and wild or yeah. crazy and mild? I think crazy and wild. Right now, it's um, in the process of we're putting in a T56 into it. So it's getting its six-speed swap. And then hopefully down the line when uh, more money comes in, Probably an LS1 would no be way. ideal. Yeah. Oh, great. That'd yeah. be ideal. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great match for it. Um, okay, so still sticking with then um, what's been happening you know, from the beginning, what was the cool car that everyone had to have when you were in high school? In high school, there were two things. Uh, everyone wanted a Mustang, of mm-hmm. course. That's just the go-to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for some reason, all the guys in uh, sort of my grade all had uh, TDIs, the Jetta. No kidding. Yeah, it was really, everyone was super into that car. There must have been six on the lot. It was. Wow. And now, were they just, did they, were they messing with them at all? Or was it? Some people were. Some yeah. people were getting into the whole stance thing. Yeah, and... right, right. Yeah. That's really funny. My my dad had a 2001 TDI Jetta. Uh, that I I always tried to drive. I loved I loved having an opportunity to be able to go out and and drive it around, but nobody really was into it. And that was when diesel fuel was actually pretty cheap too. Um, so I can totally get, I, I can totally understand it. And now even in our neighborhood here, uh, seeing diesel Jettas is a pretty common occurrence. And I feel like they're kind of making a bit of a comeback, but yeah. um, Volkswagen's in a bit of trouble still on that front. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and you'd mentioned, so daily driver is your Lexus. Yes. That's awesome. And I mean, you do have a stable because you have two cars. I think that counts if you've got two, even though it's on the other side of the country <laughs> or it's on the other side of the continent. So, um, Okay, so into what brought you here, at least how I found you. And this is through a um, mutual friend of ours, Justin Sukraj from Wells Auto. Um, I was mentioning earlier when we were chatting that I noticed, um, or I think I'd found through um, a hashtag search when I was doing some research on Justin and his shop, um, a photo or some photos that you had taken. 
And when I clicked on it, I started looking through. I was really fascinated because you'd taken some beautiful photos. And so that totally caught my eye. And when I start going back and kind of the whole premise of the show is finding out why people are so passionate about automotive and then what it is, what they do within automotive that keeps them so passionate. And so clearly your passion is really deeply rooted in photography. Yes. So give us the rundown on how that all happened. Like, how did you get into photography in particular? I was actually kind of forced to get into it. It's a bit interesting. I had to uh, take a high school class for it, Mm -hmm, photography, mm -hmm. and um, I needed that credit and I took the class. And one of the projects was a macro photography project. So I, she explained it to us saying that, you know, I want the photo so zoomed in, you can't even tell what you're taking a photo of. It was for an artistic thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember thinking about my best friend, Elise at the time, and her dad had a 1967 Mustang fastback. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And something about the body lines on it and all the details, the chrome, the badges. And I just thought that would be a really cool subject for that project. And so I called her, asked her dad, and he was all good with it. So that was my first automotive photography sort of project I ever did was with that car. And yeah, that's really what started it. And throughout that class, all my projects since were aimed at cars. Cool. So, um, what, do you remember what your second project was on a car? Um, it was actually, funny enough, a Jaguar XJ220. Oh, wow. Not an awful car to take pictures Not of either. Not at all. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. So then getting into equipment, kind of what you use now, uh, what do you shoot on? I mean, what's your setup? So I shoot with a Fujifilm X-T2. It's a mirrorless camera. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends in the automotive photography scene sort of shoot Canon or Sony. And so for me, I picked Fuji because my mom had originally bought um, an E2S, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. I'll have to check. But um, she started me off with that camera. And I just got so used to the setup and the functions and everything. And uh, when I was shopping for my own camera, I decided, you know what? I'm going to stick with Fuji. I grew this brand loyalty. Yeah. (laughs) And I decided, yeah. So I bought a kit lens with it. And also a zoom lens of 55 to 200 millimeter. So my setup is really small, but I like it that way because it allows me to take it from place to place. Right. Keeps you pretty nimble. Yeah. I have to admit, it's like, you know, my knowledge of cameras and equipment is even less than my knowledge of American muscle. So <laughs> it's almost like a different language that you're speaking at this point to me. Um, but I, it, it's, it's interesting to me because, and I feel like I have to ask it because I, I know that there are a lot of people out there that um, really enjoy the whole photography world, but at the same point, you know, it takes a lot to get into it. Um, I mean, from a, both an investment monetarily, but also from the time and commitment to understanding how to use the equipment. So I understand why you stuck with Fuji, because if you learned the system, it probably made a lot of sense to stick oh, with that in terms of what you've learned and the functions for it. So um, I totally get it. Now, do you ever shoot on film? No, it's a, do, I feel like I'm dating myself by even asking the question, does anyone shoot on film anymore? I know so many photographers who do. I personally don't. However, I kind of uh, dabbled in it in that photography class I took in high school. Oh, good. We okay, had, so they still taught it. Yeah, oh. we had like a project and even using like a, a black room and everything. We mm-hmm. had to sort of 
uh, do our own photos and uh, it was fun. It's a lot of work, <laughs> yeah, but it is. yeah. So and there's a lot of guesswork in it too. I mean, there's no... That's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's no guarantee with it, so. Interesting. Okay, so now knowing that... Okay, so there's there's no... Um, you're not necessarily using... Yeah, you're not using a dark room. You're not using um, film. In the digital world, how much post-production are you doing on your photos? You know, are you doing any post-production on your photos? Are you editing them after the fact? Are you adjusting? Like, what do you do um, after you've pulled those photos off a card? Well, for me, I try to keep the editing as minimal as possible. I just like to sort of enhance the car. Obviously, that's the main subject. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like photos that are too heavily edited. I don't. Yeah. I know a lot of people who apply the same filter to every photo. Yeah. And Sorry, I, that's that's me. I do that. I do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the black and white filter is <laughs> yeah. an exception. Yeah, that is the exception to the rule, I think. Um yeah, I, I see that a lot as well. And I, I can tell in your photos too, the realism seems very real. And sometimes it's hard for an untrained eye. I mean, I see a lot of car photography, especially in my day job. And some are getting so good that they can take a bad photo. Sorry, not a bad photo. <laughs> that they can take a photo that can be enhanced to look absolutely incredible. But to most people, you'd never even know that it had been touched after the fact. So, so okay. So most of yours, you like to keep as close to the original as possible then. Yeah, I just, I think it, it looks more realistic. And I, again, I like enhancing the features of the car. I don't want it to be too altered or uh, distorted in color, mm -hmm. which can happen with filters. So Right. And I mean, you're telling a story about a particular subject, I think, especially when you get into the editorial world, you want that to be that to be true to what somebody would see in real life as well. Yes. So I think it's a great approach to be taking, especially given kind of your focus now, too. Um, what's your favorite location that you've ever shot? My favorite location is probably in California. There's um, an area called Hidden Valley. Okay. Now, it is the most gorgeous place you'll ever see. Um, I've heard a lot of TV shows and movies are filmed in that spot mm -hmm. pretty frequently. It's used quite often. And I shot a 1970 Corvette C3. Oh, the green one? Yes. Oh, that was a crazy car too. I mean, you're right. I I actually didn't look a lot at the background in that shoot because that <laughs> car was so crazy. Yeah, that's an awesome build by my friend Garrett. What's the shop? JCP? Uh, JCG Restoration. Okay, yeah. JCG. Right, that was amazing. Again, total focal point on that car, but I will go back now and look at the, the actual location <laughs> for that. Um, okay, so then favorite car you've ever shot? Favorite car? Mm, I would say it's um, my friend Dave Schroeder's 1966 Corvette. It's a drag car. He regularly participates in Drag Week, and he actually won last year. So in 2017, he won the whole event. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That name sounds so familiar. Maybe it's just having gone through your photos recently that I recognize the name. But uh, So it's a full-built drag car. Oh, full built, 872 cubic inches, four oh stages gosh. of nitrous. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. I've got your site up here too. So I know exactly then that car, the blue and white. Is that a C3? No. C2. That's a C2. Right. See, I know a little bit, I guess, about muscle cars, at least Corvettes yeah. in their generational nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so you know I'm not a muscle guy when I'm even speaking of them like that. But um, now, biggest challenge in shooting cars? 
Biggest challenge is, um, I guess with any photographer, you get really picky and you have this vision for your shoot and how you want it to look. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's lighting and obviously time of day. Right. So I love sunset shoots just because you can work with the lighting in so many different ways. Yeah. And what's hard about that is kind of scheduling it so the person's car that you're shooting will actually, um, like, they'll actually show up at that time to that location. Right. And you've got enough time to carry through. I mean, we always, because we're always shooting so much film with car, you know, you've got your two times of the day that are your beautiful kind of magic hours with sunset and sunrise. Yes. And so, yeah, I, the timing on that is so crucial. You know, like I literally have 45 minutes yep. to shoot this before that soft light goes away and it's too dark to yeah. pick it up again. And so. You'd be surprised. Nobody wants to wake up early to do those morning shoots. Right. So I'm pretty right. limited to the evening ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then you deal with, you know, and there's traffic, especially if you're, you know, I know you've done a lot of these out in California too. Yes. Um, yeah. Traffic's a real thing. And not that it isn't a real thing here either. It's crazy in Toronto yes. too. But, um, so what's the most gratifying element of shooting cars so far for you? Um, as cheesy as it is, it's the people that I've met through it, like the connections I've built and a lot of people who I've shot for have just become such good friends. And I think that's what it is for me. It's almost a social thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely get that. It's it's a lot in a lot of ways what kept this podcast going Yeah, is that I meet so many great people out of it. I mean, I love doing this and I mean, I certainly wouldn't consider my show the same kind of product as what you end up with with photography you know two totally different mediums um and the people have really been it so you know i i completely understand and agree with you on that um what's the unicorn that everybody's always wanted to or sorry not everyone that you've always wanted to shoot if it could be real it could be fictitious you know but what's what's that one car on the top of your list that you just you have to knock off um for me very specific would be a 1971 or 1972 Plymouth Roadrunner oh yeah okay <laughs> so I've always loved that design it's the B body, but it's specifically the front end on that car was another, um, that car really got me into the whole culture as well when it came to muscle cars and everything. And it was how I spoke about before, how I was super into the design element mm -hmm. before I was into function. And yeah, that car was definitely it for me. They're yeah. hard to come by. No kidding. Yeah. 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 That'll be a definite private collection piece. <laughs> um, there's a really good uh, donut media video on the history of the Roadrunner. If you ever want to dive into it, I think it's about 10 minutes long. It's oh, yeah? so good. I mean, those guys have been killing the video game lately, but um, yeah, check that one out. It's awesome. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about video. You're kind of dabbling a little bit in video here and there. Are there any aspirations to want to get deeper into the video world or do you think you're going to kind of stick with photography and stills? Um, for me, I'm very open to trying anything. I would love to get involved in video. Uh, I'm relatively shy on camera. So I think, you know, it might actually be good for me to get some practice behind the camera because ultimately I think hosting a show would be pretty fun, mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, I'd like to expand, do other things aside from photography. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because when you think of all of the different cars that you get exposure to and all the people and all these amazing projects, and you've traveled to locations to go see them and you've got these setups and you've got equipment and 
the idea that, oh yeah, I could just roll video, but at the same time, then you're going to compromise what you are doing as the purist and taking photographs and cutting into that time to kind of do a little bit of both. I mean, it's a, it's interesting because there's a lot of people who have done, who've gone both ways, but I have a lot of respect for you sticking to your guns on photography. Um, but the, you know, it's undeniable to how popular the video content world has now become and is increasingly becoming. Um, so the other thing though that I've noticed is that you're also doing some writing as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Very cool. Um, so what kind of publications could everyone check out to find? Because I've seen now some combinations where you've got both the photography feature and the actual written editorial feature. Yeah, so probably my biggest accomplishment to date was getting published by Hot Rod Magazine. So kudos. Huge kudos to that. that. Was, That's a massive accomplishment. That was a huge goal of mine from day one when I got into this was to have something published by them. And recently, uh, thanks to my friends Dave Schroeder and John Enns, if I can give them a plug. Yeah, big shout outs <laughs> to those guys for sure. I was able to cover their test in tune that they were preparing for Drag Week this year. And I did photos and a story on that that they recently published. And so that was a huge highlight for me amazing yeah but um other than that i do some pretty regular work for bangshift now mm -hmm. so you can also check out bangshift.com and other than that it's really um limited to my website as well i try and just interview anyone who interests me anyone who has a build that i'm super passionate about and nice. you can find it on my website too right yeah because you get a full blog section on your site you can check all of that out yeah awesome well, and I love it too, because it's all encompassing and you've got your beautiful photography that's accompanying this great interview now. So it's a, I mean, it's a pretty rich territory to play in. So I hope you continue along that path as well, because I, I think you've got some talent in, in the writing world too. Thank you. Okay. So the subject of all of your photography and your writing, American Muscle, there's no denying your love and passion and focus on that part of the automotive industry. And also through um, kind of following you on your Instagram account, there's a very clear admiration for Roadkill and of course, Freiburger and Finnegan. Um, so give us some of the backstory on that. What's their influence been on your career? Um, I started watching Roadkill maybe it was a year ago. And ever since I started watching, that's totally changed my perception on cars and <laughs> what it is to have fun with a car. Yeah. It's, you don't need an expensive restoration, like muscle car. You don't need any of that. You don't need paint. You can have patina. <laughs> and yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, I was watching that show that really influenced me to actually pursue automotive photography and journalism more seriously. I think, you know, I wanted to do it as a job. I wanted to have a career in that. And yeah, David and Mike have been major influences. <clears throat> so on that, I mean, here in Canada and to a lot of my listeners, I'd say about, you know, between 60 and 80% of them, depending on the show, end up listening from within Canada. Um, you know, American Muscles certainly does skew to, at least I'll, I'll say this not knowing a lot, but I know enough that you know, the more fair weather, uh, the better for most American muscle um, <laughs> with uh, high horsepower and rear wheel drive, not necessarily always the best in winter. I mean, I, I could also debate that on the other hand, because I've had a lot of fun with rear wheel drive cars in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
what are the biggest communities here in Canada that um, you could follow or get in get involved with if you love that scene or you have interest in that scene? I mean, what, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to go out and find what's happening in the muscle world here, especially, you know, Toronto or, you know, Canada as a whole? So I'm really, uh, I'm really good at like networking now and I've been just going out to as many car shows as I can. And um, I find the local events are always the best ones you can go to. So they may not be specific to muscle cars, but classic cars in general. Okay, yeah. And you'll get a turnout of muscle cars, of course. Um, those are just so welcoming and the community for uh, classic domestics everyone has been so nice to me and it's just really inclusive and people will let you sit in them. And so I guess some of my favorite groups would be back alley cruisers. Okay. They, so just shouting them out, they have a number of um, cruises and car shows throughout the GTA. Mm -hmm. So that would be a big one. Also um, there's another group who I'm just now recently kind of getting involved with, which is the East London timing association. Now they go into more, um, you know, 1930s to 50s type cars cool. and it's, you'll see gassers, you'll see all sorts of cool vintage race cars. So they have a bunch of events at St. Thomas Raceway. Oh my God. Literally 20 minutes from where I grew up. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Out in Sparta. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah. I love that racetrack. It's such a nice area out there. Yeah. 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 I, I would grow up uh, on Sundays in my, in the, you know, back of our farm and all I could hear were all the drag cars ripping along that racetrack. And this is the, probably the craziest part of all of this. I begged, well, I, maybe not begged is maybe the wrong word. Um, I pleaded for my father to take me to that racetrack for as long as I can remember. And he never once took me to that racetrack. Aww. Never once. And maybe, just maybe, and you know, thanks to dad up there now, but uh, maybe that's the reason why I'm so passionate and into cars now is because he wouldn't let me back then. <laughs> and so uh, it could have been a blessing in disguise, but I grew up listening to the sounds of those cars running on that track growing up. So that's crazy. Small world, very yep. small world. <laughs> so, okay. So they are, oh, sorry, remind me again of the, the, the group's name again. So East London Timing Association. East London Timing Association. Okay. I have to go back because I've, I've since been to, there's an amazing speed shop right across from the track and I can't remember the name of it. One of my best friends um, growing up, his brother was a crazy muscle guy. Yeah. Um, he had this beautiful Nova that he did a full a full restoration on. And um, he used to drive us around when we were in high school. He was like five years or four years older than us. So it was a really cool thing. And he had the skull and crossbones instead of the Chevy logos. And he had the custom seats in the back. And the thing was wild. He would take us to this speed shop he, well, he would go in and get work done and, you know, he'd be standing up front smoking cigarettes and he wouldn't let us come in, but we could actually watch what was happening in the garage. And so I have these very fond memories growing up of that area and muscle cars as well. So I'm going to go back. A good friend of mine just moved to London um, maybe like four months ago. Yeah. So now is my chance to go back and relive all these memories. So um, I, 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 I want to connect with you on um, who you know there so I can go. I'd love to go and do some interviews. It'd be great to do a live show from the from the racetrack for sure for with sure. some brakes for the cars to run because yeah. microphones and drag cars don't really mix yeah. very well <laughs> <laughs> um 
Okay, so those are two really good ones. I don't know if you had any others in mind that you wanted to shout out um, before I get to the hardest question of the night for you. Um, off the top of my head, I'm drawing a blank, but I'll definitely on my pages throw some links yeah. out there because I know people are interested in getting into this, but that'd it, be awesome. It's hard to find sometimes. Yeah, no kidding. No, it, it's very true in any part of car culture. I think the hardest is finding the groups that you can identify with the most closely. Yes. Um, okay. So like I said, the hardest question of the night, bolt by bolt restoration or resto mud. <laughs> Man, so obviously I have an appreciation for any sort of restoration. I mean, you're reviving a car, you're giving it a new life. Yep. So that's something. But I would say resto mod. I like the idea of like modern performance in a classic car and, you know, also a bit of safety too. Yeah, that's... fair enough. I'm big on that one too. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a a podcast high five because I'm very much with you on that. It's like give it <laughs> Modern cooling, a bit more reliability. Yes. Decent braking, maybe proper seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a cage even. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you, you just, you want to get out there and drive it. So. Yeah. I'm totally with you on it. And um, on the, the tip of my my friend who has the uh, the Nova, who he's, mm -hmm. which he still has. He's had it pretty much Very his whole cool. life. And it's crazy. It's been an awesome resto mod as well. So, um, okay. So here's another great one. If you could have any project project being key, money isn't an object, what would it be? And how would you build it? Man, so that's tough. I know. Money, no object. I know. I mean, you could probably spend an entire show on that topic, but off the top of your head, what's that one that if somebody said you've got 10 seconds to decide, what's it going to be? Go. It's definitely going to be a 1977 Pontiac Trans Am. Aha, right. In terms of power plant, I could go with so many options, but I think... <laughs> probably go for the very typical answer maybe i would want an ls7 just go to the max money no object mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i think that could be pretty fun <laughs> i think that would be pretty fun <laughs> <laughs> um okay so on that note i mean you've got this amazing project car that you want to build but i have to ask the question of european japanese market stuff do you have any interest in that either i mean do you ever see yourself kind of covering some of your um your passion in photography and having it kind of move over to the other segments in the automotive world. You know, is there any desire in that side? No, for sure. Um, I was actually super into JDM and Euro before muscle cars, which is funny. So it kind of, I've kind of been through it all now and I find muscle cars, Americans are my favorite, mm -hmm. but I would be open to doing any sort of, you know, whether it's a photo shoot or just even writing a feature on a car, no matter what the make model so right it's just a general passion i mean you know you, it's funny that you said um your first ever project was a macro project and that um to me muscle and having looked through a lot of what you have um, shot a lot of the subjects there is a lot of patina there is a lot of age there is a lot of there's there's bits of corrosion i mean the paint's not perfect and i think mm -hmm. that makes a lot of cars very beautiful it's funny because if that was your kind of introduction into that side of the photography, um, muscle makes so much sense. And when you go to a lot of the Japanese stuff, I mean, it's just not there yet or it's not at that level. It hasn't aged to that particular yeah. level unless you get, of course, like the awful, you know, road corrosion from salt and rust, yeah. which isn't <laughs> as beautiful and isn't quite a patina. It's the Canadian patina. Yeah. Um, 
but on the European side, um, that might be an interesting place for you to 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 look into. I mean, you're saying some of the um, the TDIs when you were growing up. Um, we're getting into kind of this stanced world. I've seen a lot of them even rolling around this neighborhood um, with the whole scene of let you, they they pull their hood, let their hood completely rust, bolt the hood back on, perfect body, just yeah. rusted hood. There's some interesting looks that are starting to happen, and I'm not certainly into it, but um, <laughs> there's some really cool vintage European stuff, and I, I know Justin's got cool European, cool Japanese, and everything is old now too. Yeah. Um, I've never been to go look at it, but we should probably head out there and check out some of his cool old stuff. And um, maybe they'll give you a chance to shoot some of his collection and I can interview him again. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, okay. So this one is a serious question. Um, not that the others weren't, but um, as a female photographer who's had some experience and some exposure in a pretty heavily male skewed industry, um, what advice would you give to other women getting into the industry, either as a photographer or as a writer, as an online personality? I mean, for any role in the industry, for that matter, um, you know, what what would you do to give them some guidance, knowing what you know now? Um, I would say find your niche, find what you really love in car culture and specify in that. And being a girl, I think, is an advantage. You're already so much more unique and different than anybody else at these car events. So you really stand out more and people remember you. That's what surprises me is I have people like who just come up to me and they say they remember me from other shows. So I think use that to your advantage and sort of, you know, build your brand on your uniqueness and mm-hmm. that. Yeah. No, I think that's that's, that, that's good advice. And having had a lot of exposure, I mean, it sounds like you've had really good experiences everywhere that you've went. And everybody, you said, you'd mentioned specifically that all of these communities are really welcoming and everybody's just opened up to, it's like, here's my car, shoot whatever you want, ask me whatever you want. I mean, that's a really nice feeling that must you must have out of all those events. Oh, very. Yeah, how open everyone is and yeah, just how willing everyone is to do these photo shoots gotten no complaints so far so <laughs> that's awesome i think your work is a great reflection of that as well as why you haven't been getting many complaints so. thank you um okay so on that note i mean where do you see photography going i mean you you are certainly um you are certainly youthful enough and understanding enough of what's happening both from a technology perspective and you've you've seen some pretty interesting stuff happening in the automotive world you have a unique perspective on older cars in that world I mean, how does all that combine and how does photography play a role in it going forward? Like, what do you see? Is there anything new or interesting that's happening that you've that you've um, you've been part of or you're starting to see a signal of change for? Um, I see that the trend is that there's anything goes and it may seem confusing, you know, when at first you're buying a new camera, you don't know exactly what you want to get. Um, At the end of the day, whether you're into film photography, digital photography, uh, if you can make it work, you know, make that your style, at the end of the day, people will still like what you do, no matter what your gear is. And um, one of my favorite photographers, very famous, Larry Chen. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I actually messaged him one day, you know, when I was looking to buy my new Fuji film and I said, Um, I'm looking to upgrade. I feel kind of limited by my current setup. What would you suggest? And he said, it wasn't about the gear. It's about the subject. 
So really focusing in on the subject is what matters. And in terms of photography and the direction it's headed, I think, you know, just make your own style work and yeah, that's, I mean, that's great advice. And also the fact that you, you received a pretty important piece of advice from the master himself, Larry Chen yes. <laughs> is, is pretty amazing. Um, what great advice to be able to get too that it really is about the subject. Um, I feel like you'll hone your skills with the tools you have, but you know, having your point of view is really the most important part of all of that. Um, amazing. Okay. I like that. So now everything we've talked about tonight combined. Um, we've got, you know, interesting subjects from the past. We've got an interest in what's going on kind of currently. You're using pieces of modern technology. Um, you yourself have had a very youthful kind of introduction to what's happening in the automotive world, yet you're way beyond your years in terms of your understanding of some of this old and amazing technology too. I mean, how do you feel about all this speculation that the youth just simply aren't into cars anymore? Um, I ask this question to everybody who comes on and they all have a very different perspective based on their experiences in the automotive world. Um, but based on what you've seen and where you've been and the shows and the people and all of those things, do you feel that the youth really aren't interested in cars anymore? I feel, um, in my experience going to all these different classic car meets, I think kids are interested. You just have to find out how to get them hooked on it, you know, whether it's through watching an old car movie or, you know, having them sit in this car that will end up being their dream car. It's just finding out how they're going to get hooked into the community and... I do see an interest. Yeah. And do you find that, I mean, do you, do you see, because I have to admit, I don't get out to as many shows as I would like to. I mean, cars and coffee occasionally, a few shows here and there. I've hooked up with the guys at Drift Jam, so I go out and I mean, there's no question that there is a youthful influence. And I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to say that if you're 35 to 40, you're not necessarily considered youthful, but I think by definition, it probably means it's not that youthful anymore. <laughs> um, but there is a lot of the kind of 20 or, you know, let's call it like 18 to 29 kind of crowd that yeah. are coming and observing what's happening. And, um, and those guys, especially Jover and Devo had talked about the guys that are just getting interested in what's happening. And some of them are starting to learn more about the cars that they're so passionate about than even they know. And they don't even understand how that happens. Yeah. But technology um, and access to information online has really played a huge role in their education in these different kind of subgenres of cars. Um, so with all of that, I mean, is there anything that you feel like is going to help stoke that fire of automotive enthusiasm in these people i mean do you think it's your photography do you think it is you know do video games play a part in this is it um is it more or more accurate portrayal of cars in hollywood films i mean what do you see as being the that it's what's the silver bullet right now um I would say with all the exposure uh, to different like media outlets, photography, video, that's one huge aspect of it. However, I think the biggest thing is getting out there and actually attending an event. So for me, I would say, you know, actually go to a drag race and, you know, you hear the cars, you smell the race fuel and mm -hmm. that'll definitely change your perception on it. I love that. That's so, so true. It's like if you want to 
you want to convince somebody to buy a car, they've got to sit in it first. Yes. Getting out to a race and being able to smell the fuel. I mean, at a, I've been to a, a drag race that was not at the St. Thomas Speedway or London Motor Speedway or whatever they call it in, mm-hmm. in, in Sparta. Um, the sheer force you feel on your body as a spectator at those oh, events yeah. is crazy. It's so crazy. And there's nothing, a YouTube video of, you know, that's strung, that's 12 races strung together is never going to give you that kind of perspective yeah, on it. They so, all look the same and actually going will hook you. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, that's fantastic advice. So get out, go to an event, smell the fuel, you know, feel the vibrations. It's a crazy, <laughs> it's a crazy experience. So, okay. So what's up next for you? What's up? You know, do you have any big plans for this fall or winter? Um, any specific shows that we should be watching for that you're going to, or maybe is there any editorial content or something that we can watch out for that uh, might be coming up soon? Well, I'm aiming to go to California again in December once the school semester sort of ended. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of other events I'm going to, uh, I love going to Toronto Motorsports Park in the fall. So in October, I love going to test and tune events because they're more personal and you can really talk to the drivers and hang out in the pit, see the cars up close. So if you're going to find me anywhere, it'll be there. Uh, for editorial content, I'm hoping to have some more stuff published by Hot Rod, Street Rodder, those types of things. So look there. <laughs> okay. Well, and and so as we're looking and as we're watching, where can we find you? So what are your, let us know what your uh, website, Instagram handle, Facebook, everything. Where, where can we find you? I guess the two best places are my Instagram, which is at Liv Scafidi. Mm-hmm. And my website, www.oliviascafidi.com, it's sort of an online portfolio and you can see my photos, see if you like them or not. And <laughs> I think that turns out pretty quickly. I think everybody will like those photos. They're great. Um, Amazing. Okay, well, um, Liv, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I really appreciate you coming over here. And it's it's taken a long time for us to get together. Um, But um, we'll be watching out for each other. I do really want to connect with you on the uh, the Drag Connection in London. Well, in St. Thomas, because I want to go back there and relive my youth or my missed youth (laughs) at that point. Um, but to everyone listening, thank you so much, um, as always, um, for staying tuned. Please do remember to rate and review the show, subscribe, follow. You can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Shout Engine at The Bucket Seat. Um, the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, and Stitcher. So you can listen to it in your car as well now, even built through Stitcher's um, in-car app. Um, and if you have any questions or episode suggestions, you can email me at trevor at the So thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, um, and you've been listening to the Bucket Seat Podcast.